Hey, Zero Block 30 listeners, you can find us every Tuesday and Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Pride members can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. For us, golf is simple. It's a chance to get out and have some fun with our friends. But inevitably, little things have a way of ruining it. The group ahead is taking forever. You can't find the fairway with a map. And the Bev cart is nowhere to be found. And the best way to make a bad day better is Fireball Whiskey. You get their nips, the little shooters. They are great. Makes bad day way, way, way better. Make sure to grab the new Fireball Birdie Shot Club. It's literally a golf club filled with Fireball Nip. Put it in your bag. It'll fit right in that side pocket. Drink Fireball Nips and have a great time on the golf course. This week's episode of Zero Block 30 is brought to you by the good people at ThursdayBoots.com. I've been wearing Thursday boots for mm, about four or five months now, and I love them. Like, they're the only boots that I have. I even gave away some of a different kind of boot to some of my friends because I just knew I wouldn't ever wear those again. Um, But right now I'm wearing the Cognac Suede Diplomat boots, and I just got these in the mail like last week. They're crazy comfortable. I've been wearing them around all day. Did a lot of walking. Had to go to the doctor. I was out. And it feels like I've been wearing these boots for months. Like They're already broken in. I don't know how they do it. But all the boots are like crazy comfortable. Because usually when you get leather boots or suede, it's really stiff at first. These aren't like that. So go to ThursdayBoots.com. Get you some boots today. Tweet me a picture of you in your boots. And I guarantee you, if you do it, you, your wife, whoever, if you get ThursdayBoots.com, I'll retweet you and tell you that you look like a handsome motherfucker. Let's go. I'm excited about the interview that we taped. We taped it mm-hmm. a couple days ago before you heard, so we're just doing like the little clip in now. But the interview that we had, probably my favorite interview by far that we've done, just because it's it was so unexpected, and I can't wait for the listeners to listen. But anyways, how are you boys doing tonight? I'm doing great. I'm excited to hear the interview. I haven't heard any of it. When this comes out, it'll be the first time I hear it. And uh, yeah, you guys have been raving about it all week. So Yeah, and I think what you'll really enjoy about it is the diversity of the interview. It's not just military. It's not just one of the other things. You'll you'll find out that it's the, the story runs the gamut of, of subjects. So it's actually fairly interesting and certainly very powerful. Yeah, so the person that we interviewed was Alejandro Villanueva, and he plays left tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they are in the AFC Championship this week against the New England Patriots. Now, if you listen to it on Monday, you already know the outcome of the game. If you listen to it Sunday morning, it's going to happen pretty soon. But either way, some of the things that he talked about was absolutely incredible to me, and one of which is just the fact that he's six foot ten, and at some <laughs> point was inside a Humvee. Yeah, like I know that you think that a lot of military guys, especially Rangers or Navy SEALs, they're big guys. They're not. No, they're not big. If you're over six foot four, how you get inside of a Humvee or a tracked vehicle or an MRAP or anything? How you get inside those vehicles blows my mind, because when I was in them. I felt like my knees were going to go through my nuts. Like yeah, at every no, absolutely. Moment. Was and I'm never, only six foot tall. Yeah, they were never comfortable. They're never comfortable. Even like the bigger vehicles, like the MRAPs, the, uh, the newer vehicles that we have that are much bigger, they're still not the most comfortable vehicles we got. We actually, I, don't, I can't think of any vehicle that we have that's, that's comfortable in our military. No, and I was talking to office manager Brett today, and he was like, yeah, in the Air Force, he's like, I think they would give you a waiver if you wanted to be a little bit taller than 6'4", be... Uh, fighter pilot. I'm like, no, they won't. You just can't fit you. You fucking can't fit in it. That's yeah. what they got. You yeah. can't fit in it. You're yeah. fucked. <laughs> you can be a little bit smaller because they can give you like step stools or whatever, but you can't be bigger because your ass won't fit. No, the only other example I can think of this in the past would be David Robinson coming out of the Naval Academy. 
and he couldn't fit on a submarine. Yeah, I think there's been plenty of people that have been tall, but most of them haven't been like active war fighters. Yeah, like Ali yeah, is. that's a great point. Like where you can go places where you can be on a ship, you're going to be out in the open. And is it uncomfortable to be seven foot tall like David Robinson go through a ship? Sure, because you're spending most of it fucking hunched over. Yep. But there's a difference between doing that and being an active war fighter. Like if you have to get out and do your fives and twenty fives, like after yeah. you get hit by an ID, yep. and somebody basically has to peel your ass out of the Humvee, yeah. I imagine that's how it went for him. No, absolutely. And we were joking the other day when we talked to him about Last week, how we explained to you, Riggs, about the, I'm up, he sees me, I'm down. Yep. And then Ollie's like, he's down, but he's kind of still they up. They still see me. They still see <laughs> they me. Still see they me. still <laughs> see me. <laughs> oh, shit, they still see me. I'm so freaking big. I'm such a huge target. Yeah, I mean, 6'10 is no fucking joke. And yeah. his flak jacket had to look like Ezekiel Elliott, like a crop top. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's no way it went down to his dick. Like his little, no. like, you know, little flat. I don't know if you, like those of you listening, because we did a poll today that... 70% of you said that you're not military members, which is great information for us so we know kind of how to talk to you a little bit more. But on the bottom of a flak jacket, whenever you're a turret, turret gunner or wherever you're going, there's, I mean, there's no other way to call it. It's a dick flap. Yep. Like, it's a flak jacket for your dick that you buckle into the bottom plat. And a flak jacket, a civilian would call it a bulletproof vest. It's not a bulletproof vest. It's kind of a bullet-resistant yeah, for vest. shrapnel as well, Yeah, too. it's for shrapnel, for stabbing, mainly. It's yep. for stabbing. It might stop some small arms munitions. Yeah, but, I know some guys who got shot straight on. But it's not going to stop like a 7.62. No. Like, it's not going to. And 7.62 is what you would get shot with if you're getting shot with an AK-47. That's what I got shot with was um, an AK-47. Flag jacket's not going to stop that. If you don't have um, a sappy plate in the middle, that's like the hard plate that will actually stop around. And those will stop around, maybe two rounds, nothing more than that. Yeah. So, but you'll have a dick flap. His dick flap was like a belly button flap. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like, there's no way it went all the way down to his dick. No, no shot. But on the other hand, we were actually we were also talking to our pal PFT, and he made a great point. If you're the Taliban and you see this monster come around the corner, you might run because you're just like, oh shit! Like, there's no shot. I'm taking this dude down. He was basically like the mountain in yeah. Game of Thrones. I was just gonna <laughs> say, yeah, like, like, <laughs> like his visual is like, oh. Fuck, he's yeah. way bigger than everybody else. And we else. were talking to him, and one of the things that blows my mind, you'll hear it in a minute, whenever he talks about being 340 and 340 being a natural weight. He's yeah. like, I feel like this is a natural weight for me. I'm like, that's a big fucking man. 340 is, I mean, that's two, almost two of I mean, me, like what I played weight at in yeah. college, and like I thought... That was for me. Like, I was jacked. I was in great shape. He's two of those. Well, you think about, That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, you think about Conor McGregor being 170 pounds. Right. And he's two of that. That's a big dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. But anyways, when he's talking about it, he talks about his time in his, um, that he was in the Ranger Regiment, and it kind of got us thinking, and we're going to have a new segment. New segment alert. So we're going to have a new segment where we're going to ask people, whether it's celebrities, people in the barstool business, people around of if they could do a job in the military, what job would that be? What job would you want to do and why? Okay, I have a couple of answers. That's cool. Number one, artillery man. Who? Just explosions, baby. Yeah. Like the most stereotypical, I want to like, experience Connor's like the military. Connor's like a fucking kid on Easter and Christmas <laughs> and Valentine's Day. All roll. He's like, you want to do my job? It's oh my just God. the most stereotypical. It, you know I hate when Connor's happy. <laughs> Look, just coming in and even just if you just Google image 
like artillery man. Yeah. And you just look at the shit these guys are firing yeah. off. You oh, Google fuck. image and you just look at me. This not, is, not you. This the, is the worst day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> it just gets me excited thinking about it. The word military, artillery man, blowing shit up. The other one I want to say is Intel Intel analyst. Yeah. Just seeing a bunch of shit that nobody else sees. Yeah. And I always think of like Michael Scott in that episode when he's got all the inside <laughs> yeah. info. Yeah. And he's just so excited about it because he never has it. Everybody's excited about info. And I think we maybe have mentioned that on this show before, but just having knowledge that no one else has. Love it. Whether it's like you're the first person to tweet about it or whatever the hell it is, it's so exciting. So if you're Just because you analyst, can kind of give that look to other people and be like, I kind of know something you don't know. Hey, yeah. I know, motherfucker. Yeah. I know. Is, like would if, be. And you can even bust out this phrase, one of my favorites, if you were privy. Yeah, yeah privy's right. such a great privy's word. Great. Yeah. So you such a great you, word. Privy as fuck all the time. <laughs> so those are my main two that I think would be awesome. Cool, cool. Well, obviously, I was an artillery man, so right. maybe I can I can drop in some videos. I knew you were going to get real excited. Too. I, was, I could drop in some videos, some explosions um, that were not necessarily in uh, combat, but more like when we were finding weapons caches and had to blow them up. So that's not really artillery. That's more like the EOD coming in and blowing stuff up. Nonetheless, it's explosions. I might have some ar- artillery videos, too. Uh, but anyway, what I would do, just because, I mean, how could you not think this is cool? I would be a gunner on like a Blackhawk. Mm-hmm. You just you're strapped in, so you're kind of hanging out. You're flying, probably not that you know high above the deck, and you just got a machine gun that you can just go ham with. And I will. You got to give those guys a lot of credit. Flight crews are some of the most squared away units in the military uh, because you know you're flying a multi-million dollar piece of aircraft and. You're doing some very dangerous missions, so I think that would be extremely interesting. Yeah, I think that that would be great, too. We talked about that. That was definitely in my top three (laughs) that I would have done. Um, My entire enlisted career, I always wanted to do the work of a reconnaissance man. Like, I thought reconnaissance men are basically the the Navy SEALs of the Marine Corps, um, to give people kind of an idea. Mm. But I got lucky because that's who I was deployed with. I was deployed with 1st Recon Battalion, so I got to do all the cool shit that they do, like in actual real-time playing. Like whenever we talk about you don't want to practice forever, you want to play. I didn't have to practice with them, which their practices are fucking hell. Yeah. Like I didn't have to do any of that pre-workout shit. Like I just went with them and did the job. So I feel like I kind of got that part out of me. I would say that my one now, looking back, knowing what I'm doing now, I would have loved to have the opportunity to be a JAG officer who was in, like, provincial Afghanistan Ooh. and being one of the negotiators. Because I feel like when you do that, you open yourself up to a great career where you can really make a difference. Come back, be a congressman. You just have all kinds of foreign policy experience. You can talk about how you've been there. So getting a little you, political. And you know the you know the plight of a lot of the people who come back because it's a big problem and. Uh, post-Afghanistan, post-Iraq world, where service members get in trouble whenever they have PTSD, and you would you would feel a lot of those cases there, too. You would have a lot of empathy, having the background of being a JAG officer and being able to represent those guys, and not in a way where PTSD is an excuse, but is a mitigating factor. And I think that based on what I do now, talking about like my passion for talking about politics and talking about um, how what we're doing now affects world events, I feel like that would have given me an even greater understanding. And I told you before we weren't going to talk about it at all. And a big reason why I think I would want to be a JAG officer is because I could understand matters like the Chelsea Manning 
situation better. Like I feel sure. like I feel like now we get what the news tells you. You get what um, the typical thought is, and I think giving away trade secrets is deplorable mm-hmm. in any way. I think that giving away the intelligence community, and I feel god awful for the intelligence community right now because they're going through a shitstorm. The president elect is talking shit about them all the time. Chelsea Manning is going free, which they fucking hate. I mean, there's a few people that I follow on Twitter that are NSA guys or CIA guys, and they are sick about Chelsea Manning being freed. So I empathize with them while also having the thought process of a type of person who feels like our judicial system can't be based on punishment, but it's got to be based on rehabilitation. Are we going to imprison people based on bloodlust? Are we going to do it for actuality and what they can do in future damages? Because there's no way, shape, or form that Chelsea Manning can ever harm America based on intelligence information ever again because she won't ever have access to that type of information. But you also, while saying that, have to give a statement that this type of behavior and giving away trade secrets is not okay because you can't do that at the same time. Yeah, and I mean, by shortening her sentence by four-fifths, I mean, are you sending that message? It kind of feels that way. kind of feels like, hey... And I don't feel like the time that she served is chicken shit. Like, that's a long time. Seven years is a long time. It's a long time. And I'm not saying, you know... All 35, but, I mean, 7 versus 35. It's not like she had a 10-year sentence and they're letting her go at 7. No, it's huge. And some of the things that I have that read doesn't about sit it well is that me. they said that, like, you can't directly attribute any deaths based on what she did. But she didn't know that whenever she released the information. She didn't know that no direct deaths were going to come from it. And that's the same exact argument that you have for Bo Bergdahl. That's because, what I was thinking Because today. the Army will tell you that no direct deaths came from Bo Bergdahl, but you and I know that's absolute fucking horseshit. Yeah. It's horseshit. They went and looked for him. People fucking died. Yeah. And they based it on the fact that they're saying with Bo Bergdahl that we were going to do these missions anyway. No, the fuck you weren't. No, no you shot. You weren't going why to were you do gonna a go search just... and find and locate missions. Yeah, if you got no one to look for, why would you go do a search and find mission? It's a completely different type of mission. Absolutely. And so you can't take what the DOD says, and it's a sad state of affairs where you can't take what the DOD says and take it just on face value because you don't know if they're fucking telling the truth or not. They want to, and that's the entire thing with the intelligence community. And that gets back to why we didn't really want to even talk about it at the beginning because what the public knows, what actually happened, what's real, what's not real, it's really fucking hard. And I think it's important for our listeners to know us three sitting at the table, we're yeah. all pr- we're all pretty intelligent guys, but we're not we're, privy. To everything. We're not privy to everything, <laughs> and we just don't fucking know. It's hard to wrap your head around. We, I mean, we. I, I think it was a great example last week with uh, President Trump and the information that came out. Did we know what was right, what was wrong? It's so hard now with all the information out there to really know who to trust, who's telling the truth, who has an agenda. You put all those things together, and it is really tough, especially, like you said, we weren't there. We're not privy. I'm sorry. Now that word's stuck in my head. Love the word. Keep going. (laughs) No, we're not privy to so much information. I think my biggest qualm with what happened with Chelsea Manning is in the military, we, we live by a different set of rules. And if she genuinely thought she had information that needed to be shared, she needed to be a whistleblower, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but there are better channels that she could have yes. gone to. The 100%. She, she could have executed and gone up her chain of command. Maybe not her direct chain of command, but I guarantee you. Inspector General outside. You could just make that request. It's bingo. Easy. Bingo. You could. She could have done it properly 
in such a way that the information got to who she wanted it to get to. But when you drop it through the WikiLeaks, it just has a it has a stink to it that there was an agenda there yeah. that maybe it wasn't, you know, because she wanted to like tell on some people. It was more like, all right, I wanted to be like, look at me being a hero and exposing people. Right. Because I mean, one of the and things so she for- leaked was a video of potentially, you know, um, the helicopter. Um, in Baghdad, I believe. Yes, yeah, shooting in, you know innocent people uh, to include some uh, reporters. So, yeah, that's that's Which, something that should there, get out there. There is an element. There is an element that I think the general public does need to know that that kind of stuff. Because if you hide that shit and you make war look pretty, people are more apt to bang on the war drums. Yeah, you have to know that the collateral damage is real fucking damage, and it's real goddamn people. But also, like what you're saying, I want to explain the process of what the inspector general is because a lot of people who are listening that aren't military don't know what that process is. We talk about in the military, as military guys, we talk about the chain of command. And for people who are in position of leadership, people just period, you should have respect for the chain of command. But there is certain things that happen outside of the chain of command. And to give a good example of what that kind of looks like is the Penn State situation. Okay. The Penn State situation to me is a pretty equal parallel of kind of what could happen if you trust the chain of command too far and you're not willing to go outside. Mm-hmm. A quarterback coach, a quarterback telling his offensive coordinator, telling the that you have to go outside. When you know something's really fucked up within your battalion, you have to request mass outside of your normal job duties. Mm-hmm. You, and, and in the case of Penn State, that was going to the county sheriff or the county police officers Mm -hmm. it wasn't keeping it inside your normal bubble of where you would normally give your gripes about what happened in the work you got to go way the fuck outside an outside institution that's not currently involved and that's what chelsea manning should have done absolutely she didn't do it that way she went instead of going there she just basically went and released it to what military members by and large would consider to be the enemy i mean in, in wikileaks especially in an intelligence age yeah and I don't even know, and it's like, I'm saying it, and I'm just like, fuck, I hope I don't regret anything that I'm saying, but I'm saying this under the scope that you guys as our listeners are intelligent enough that me, Connor, and Riggs are speaking about this two hours after the information of the pardon is released. Yeah, there's going to so be a lot more information shit that out. we're saying. I know for a fact there's shit that I'm saying that is 100% going to be wrong, and I'm telling you right now, that's okay. Yeah. Because this is a podcast where we want to give our open and honest opinions about what's going on. And not only the guys that it's going to be played back in five years and people are going to say, well, you guys fucked that up. Of course we did. Yeah. Because honestly, right now, we don't know shit and we are dumb. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. And there's, I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of documents that who knows how much of a direct effect they had on this, this, or this. <laughs> it's also important to note that there's all kinds of fodder about, you know, her, his uh, mental state. Now, uh, yeah. Stability at the time. When the leak occurred, uh, there was some rumor that she would uh, sent some sort of selfie with some wild wig to her supervisor right before she made the leak and all that. So, in which terms of you're saying, you know, should have gone about it this way if she's going to do it. I mean, you have to take that into account. You also have to factor in that it served for seven years uh, in prison. There's only been about five of these leaks to the public, and every time the sentence when a conviction comes down is one to three years. She's done seven, so it, you factor all these things in and be like. Is it too much? Is it not? And it's very important that we do say, we don't fucking know everything. We don't know all the direct impact. We don't know if she served the right amount too much, served more. I also think it's important to note that Obama, I mean, he has all the most information anybody could have. He's been weighing this for a long time. He's been commander-in-chief 
for eight fucking years. Mm-hmm. And this was the decision that he made. I think people also should owe some respect to that. So there's all these different things to factor in in terms of how you feel about it. And you're right. It's only two hours after it happened. So we're kind of just reacting. And we even were like, eh, maybe we'll stay away from it. But it's a tough it's a I tough am situation. disappointed that Petraeus' name wasn't on the list. Oh, for pardons. I feel like Petraeus' name should have been on the list. If Bradley Manning can get commuted, I feel like. <clears throat> and I'm sorry, who was the pardoned. vice vice chairman of Joint Chiefs that got pardoned? Uh, the general something with a fucking C. I don't remember. Yeah, the, yeah, for something that you know could be compared to what Petraeus did. So, I agree on Petraeus. Yeah, the part the pardon situation is always fucking rough because you can kind of understand like because the the presidents, no matter what side of the party you are, they're not just giving out pardons to anybody. They're looking at, I mean, they're people. I mean, President Obama's not looking at 100. He's given, like, great leeway to what his people are telling him to mm-hmm. do as well. But they're looking at tens of thousands of federal cases. Yeah. And they're coming across these 209 this time of ones that are deserving or that President Obama felt was deserving. I'm not going to say if Chelsea Manning was deserving of a like commuting the sentence or not, and I don't think that either one of you are in position or have the state of mind where you're willing to say that she deserved it or didn't. Nope. No, but I, what I will say, though, is it what we agreed on. I, it angered me that she went outside her chain of command, and it also angers me, and it's... But is that worth the rest of your life? Like, But in World War II, that shit happens. You're dead. Yeah. You're dead. Uh, but then also, it's, you know, you consider, you know, she wasn't some... You know, oh uh, four, oh five. You know, major colonel, lieutenant colonel, in the intelligence community. She was a PFC, I believe. Correct? Yeah. So, I mean, how much does she really know? And that's very similar to what Bo Bar- what happened with Bo Bergdahl. People thinking they know more than their chain of command. That that gets me heated too. So those two things, I'm not. They don't. They don't sit well with me. But I won't go so far as to say whether or not I think. Uh, I have a definitive feeling just yet without all the information on the pardon. Or the, the excuse me, the... Um, commuting of commuting the sentence. of the sentence. Well, good. Well, we're all in agreement there, and one thing that we're all in agreement on is that Alejandro Villanueva is a fucking badass, so he is our badass of the week. He's our interview of the week. He's playing this week in the AFC Championship game against the New England Patriots. Left tackle, awesome interview, and then... Connor, go ahead and introduce him. All right, now welcoming on to Zero Blog 30, very special guest. You might know him if you're a Steelers fan. You might know him if you watch football on Sundays and see all those nice USAA commercials. But we have uh, West Point grad and current starting left tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Alejandro Villanueva. Ali, what's up, buddy? What's going on, Connor? How are you, chaps? Good to see you. You too, man. You look handsome today. Thanks, appreciate it. Appreciate the. <laughs> so you had a big, you had a. We're talking to you on Monday, just after your big playoff game and the night game in Kansas City. Are you riding high right now, still? Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously the game was uh, uh was very challenging. I had my first start there uh, last year, and and I did not fare well. And so for me, to, uh, you know, to come back and and really try to put a good game together against really good players, uh, was very special. And and obviously, you know, I've never been so far down uh, in the playoffs, and and. And I really enjoy uh, seeing my teammates every week. And, and obviously, like a lot of you guys know in the NFL, once the uh, once you lose a game in the playoffs, then you don't see your teammates until uh, until May. And so it's uh, it's really good to, 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 to keep hanging out with them and, and spending time with them. You got any thoughts about going up to Foxborough next week? I mean, I know that 99% of the staff of Barstool is uh, diehard 
uh, Patriots fans. I actually grew up a Patriots fan myself. Uh, I went to middle school in, uh, in Rhode Island, and that's when uh, uh, things of the Patriots were making a Super Bowl run, and that's when actually I started watching football. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Patriots is, the, is that team that, uh, that is playing on another level. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of teams rely on maybe talent, on, on special playmakers, but uh, uh, the, the Patriots just have a, a very, very sound team. Uh, their defense is, is, is underrated. They don't make any mistakes. Um, the, Tom Brady, obviously, is the, the ultimate alpha male of our generation. And yeah, uh, it's, ridiculous. it's just yeah. uh, it's, it's a tremendous team, and obviously it's a great challenge. And, uh, you know, I'm excited, and, and I look forward to, uh, uh, to the challenge of, of facing a great team in, uh, in the AFC Championship. So a couple years ago, you were – a lot of people might not know that you're an Army Ranger, right? I was in Ranger Regiment, yes, sir. Yeah, so you were, and I read that you did three deployments to Afghanistan. So from going from three deployments in Afghanistan to heading to Foxborough, I wanted to ask you if you feel kind of like I do. Now, after I'm out of the Marine Corps and I work at Barstool, I feel like I've lived basically two lives. Do you feel like that sometimes? Yeah, I, and, and you know what? Everybody, I think when I, when I signed with Philadelphia, you know, and, and the whole media frenzy with Chip Kelly and, and, and Army Ranger in the NFL, and obviously I had, you know, 0.001 chance of making it into Philadelphia. Um, you know, the, the hardest thing was, was getting out of the military, you know, and, and even it's one of those things you take for granted, you know, the separation process, the, the not wearing your uniform again. Uh, I mean, your whole vocabulary, everything changes from – you know, going into a gate in the morning to, uh, you know, not being able to live without chewing tobacco or, yeah. or ripples or, you know, this is everything changes, you know, overnight. And, and you don't have the, the blanket of the government to give you a salary every month. And so uh, I do feel like it's it's two lives. And, and this second one is, uh, is is very different from the first one, for sure. Have you did you think you took anything from your time in the army that translated into your time now in the NFL that was helpful for you? Um. I mean, that's a really good question. Everybody always asks me the same thing. It's like, you know, uh, was war like football? You know, was it like battle? And it's like, you know, I would say that uh, the one thing, you know, just doing a quick, quick recap, you know, of what it's like to, 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 to be in the service, uh, you know, you have a lot of challenges up ahead, you know, and, and, and so it's always you either have a course coming up or you have a deployment coming up or an assignment coming up. And they usually, like, you know, maybe – they give you what a month, three months in advance before you know you're deploying, or before you have to go to a school or um, or PCSA and whatnot. So there's a lot of there's a lot of time, and, and, and you have to really, you know, when you're driving to work every day, you think, okay, I'm, my next assignment is going to be this, so I got to go to Ranger School and I got to prepare for this or that. And uh, and the NFL is, is very similar in that aspect. You know, you got OTAs coming up. Uh, you know, what what are your goals for OTA? So how how are you going to uh, try to establish yourself as a player, or, or what are the, some of the things that you're going to do to to better yourself in the team. And so uh, that's kind of some of the, the, the same goal uh, setting, um, you know, mindset that, 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 that a lot of, I would say, officers and, and, and enlisted uh, uh, people in the military that truly really want to get a hold of their careers, um, you know, face every day. And, and in the NFL, it's kind of uh, your, your, your daily bread. You know, you have, you know, a training camp. You know, you have to face the, the first team, you know, the, the Redskins. And then the next week, I go to Cincinnati. And so it's, it's very similar uh, in that aspect. If you had to put Mike Tomlin as a position in like a normal battalion, what yes. what position and rank do you think he would he would have? His personality he would be type. A battalion sergeant major, uh, a very animated, inspiring battalion sergeant major and a really good one too. Um, you know, he's very different 
Now, in, in real life, uh, you know, when, when you hear a press conference or maybe the, the impression that a lot of people have of him outside of football, uh, you know, he might, he's, he's, he's a very, very personable guy. He, he really gets the best out of you. Uh, he has a, standards that are his own standards. Um, and, and obviously every sergeant major is, is, is different in, in the Army and I'm sure in the Marine Corps as well uh, in terms of pet peeves and the things that they appreciate. Uh, but for him is the, the inner competitive edge of every player. Uh, he likes to see gory stuff on practice. He likes to see how you respond, you know, when, uh, when, when they're doing linebackers on, on running backs for, 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 uh, for pass drills. I mean, th- those things are medieval drills. Like Oklahoma yeah. drill? Yeah, it's Oklahoma drill, except you have, you know, 10 yards of separation between players. Oh, wow. So, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty violent, and, and he just wants to see you respond. And, and it's more of a uh, personal relationship that you have with him. Uh, he's a great communicator, great guy. I have a lot of admiration for him. Uh, actually, um, a, a CAG uh, team came to our facility last year. You know, I had the privilege to introduce him to the team. You know, they were visiting. They were doing some training uh, in the area. Obviously, I... Uh, I was almost shaking when I had to introduce these guys because, you know, I know who, you know, the kind of things that they do and, and all these players, obviously, on the team, you know, they had no clue who these guys were. They were just asking them questions like, have you ever worked with a Navy SEAL? <laughs> uh, you know, when, when he was briefing, and, we, and I think we were playing the Arizona Cardinals, I mean, when he was uh, briefing the, the team and explaining uh, the, the, the defense, the offense, I mean, it, it almost sounded like, 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 a, like a mission brief, you know, like a yep. – uh, like, like a five paragraph op order and, and he was uh, being very uh, deliberate about the things that were key to the game and uh, and, and, and all the uh, I mean all the uh, all the guys from the team I mean this is this is a sergeant major briefing a mission right now I mean this is, is it sounds exactly like that he's very confident very brief um, to the point uh, very inspiring tone of voice everything is just spot on yeah I saw there was a play yesterday where one of your corners got flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct I think and Tomlin took like two steps out on the field and very much had the sergeant major what the fuck are you doing <laughs> look on his face and the corner well, yeah, just he like immediately stopped and like went back to his spot went back to the huddle yeah. and I was like hell yeah that's why I wanted to ask you the question because I saw that look too nice. yeah he's I mean he's, he's very intense but he's a, he's, a, he's a great coach great guy uh, and, and, and loves the military in, in, a, in a very particular way that I've never seen uh, an American appreciate the troops I mean he's a uh, uh, he's a very genuine person. That's, that's the best way to describe him. So then, do you think that played into you landing a spot with the Steelers? And also, I mean, do you get treated differently by your teammates considering your background? Uh, no, I wouldn't say I get treated differently because a lot of people did. I mean, I would say like 99% of SEC football players in America don't know the, what the service academies are. Uh, and I would also say that, uh, you know, a lot of people just don't care, you know, about they, they, they can conceive that. I mean, they, a lot of people, they didn't know that I, that I served in the military, that I was overseas and whatnot. Uh, so that was good. And that, that's a good thing. I mean, I want to be treated as a football player. Right. That was the biggest difference between Philadelphia and, and, and Pittsburgh. Um, the, the, the worst thing that you can do to me in for my career is to treat me as a veteran, you know, and, and make me a poster child of anything. That I mean, that was honestly hurting my career more than anything because you're always going to look at me as, Oh yeah, but he's a veteran, you know, and making excuses for me. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're not coach, starting playoff games at left tackle because you went to West Point. I mean, that's not the yeah, like you're yeah, you're a good football player too. Yeah, that's what I was trying to prove the yeah. whole time. I was so like, you know, yeah, I, I know I've deployed three times, and I'm uh, you know the 
the, the, the lead dog of the dog and pony show, you know, but <laughs> please allow me to, 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 to see if I can play football. And, and Coach Tomlin, he, he just he evaluated me as a player for athletic ability. The only That played a major part into me being able to, uh, to be here as opposed to any other team. I mean, if it wasn't for him allowing me to be a year in practice squad, I don't think uh, I would be in the NFL. Right Let's now. talk about your time in the practice squad. I heard that you went from 250 to 340 in a year. So when I was in the Army, uh, and obviously I was with, with Ranger Battalion, um, running is, is like the... Uh, the lifeblood. It is. It's that's, why I, that's why I never fucking run. Now, I'll never yeah. do it. It's terrible. But I mean, and, I, and I hated running. I mean, I was like, oh, maybe I can be better at other things. But the, but the Rangers run nonstop. And so um, I was not, you know, it, it's pretty embarrassing, you know, when you're a Ranger platoon leader or you're in a platoon leader period in the infantry and you're not leading the runs, you know, and you're not like the fast gazelle type officer. And, and, and I wasn't that. I mean, I've never been. I'm 6'10", you know, I've always been above 235 to 40. So it's very challenging for me to run. Uh, and so I, I really made an effort to uh, to get in really, really good shape and, and run. And I actually signed up for the Color Run Marathon in, in Savannah, Georgia. And I started my program and, and actually it was the first day of my program running around Forsyth Park. I think it was like an eight mile run and I was in, in mile two. And I said, you know what, fuck this. I'm gonna try to do something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> running for the fucking get, birds, dude. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. So, I mean, I was really skinny, you know, I was I was really underweight. And then when I when I uh, like a six, uh, six. 10 and 240 is pretty thin. It's pretty thin. Yeah, I was really thin. I was a Pogasol uh, type <laughs> guy. And, uh, and and when I signed with Philadelphia and I was in the NFL, I was like, you know what? My technique is not great. My skills are not great. My reaction time is not great. But if I bulk up and I just become a massive human being, then maybe I can overcome some of those mistakes. And that was the mentality that I had in Philadelphia. And so I, bought, I bulked up probably to uh, 315 when I was in Philly. I mean, the food was great. <laughs> um, the training was awesome. I was not running in the mornings, you know. I was actually getting enough sleep, uh, drinking tons of water. I had a lot of attention, you know, which is something that you don't have in the army uh, for your physical development. And uh, and then when I got to to, to Pittsburgh during that year in practice squad, I was not traveling on the weekend, so uh, I had a lot of time to really prepare. And I mean, I mean, if you saw me right now, it's not like a, this. This looks more like a natural way to me, you know, the three twenty five range. Uh, you know, when I was when I was uh, two thirty five, two forty, I was. I was very skinny. I mean, I don't even recognize myself right now when I look at pictures. Okay, so you're in the Rangers, and you're pretty thin and coming off deployments. How is it that you made that transition and, and picked up football again, having not played since college? So my last deployment with 1st Ranger Battalion, um, you know, it was 2014, I think it was, when I got back. And it was one of those things where, like, you know, the up-tempo was kind of slowing down towards the end. And, you know, we got sent home a little early. And, you know, my platoon leader time was over as a, as a ranger, uh, platoon leader or platoon leader or any, 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 any of the platoon. And so I looked at my career and I said, all right, so now I'm going from being a, in the ranger regiment, you know, the, the, the coolest place that you could be at, at this age. And now I have to go to Fort Benning for, for uh, captain's career course. Then I have to go into a... Um, uh, a unit for command. I went 10th Mountain Division for my platoon leader time. So the Army's probably going to switch me to a, a heavy mechanized uh, unit for my command time. Uh, I'm going to have to wait, you know, 12 to 18 months to take command. And then I'm going to take command for another 12 months, maybe, and pretty much going to be inventories and maybe a, 
uh, uh, NTC or GRTC rotation is yeah, the highlight. Not, of the band. Yeah, not very exciting stuff. Yeah, and so I said, you know what? Let's let, let's see what's out there. And 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 it just so happened it was St. Patrick's Day when I got back, and Josh McNary, who's one of my teammates from um, from West Point, was with the Indianapolis Colts, and he told me that he went to this this tryout, uh, the regional combine, and and he was able to get a look uh, to to play in the NFL, and so. You know, my ultimate goal was to, to go to grad school and, and be able to pay for it. You know, since since I went to West Point, I didn't have a GI Bill. I was not eligible. And uh, and, and the NFL seemed like a possible way of paying for, for grad school. Didn't really think it through. Uh, I mean, obviously, the odds were very, very slim. But I said, you know what? It's in Flowery Branch, Atlanta. I'm going to drive three hours. I'm going to try out, see what happens. And, uh, you know, if I also had the feeling, you know, when I, play, when I was at West Point, I played three different positions. You know, I feel like my career was not... Uh, it was not a serious football career, uh, and, 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 I, and I feel like that was a, a door that, that I still hadn't closed. And so I just decided to explore it. You know, I was probably going to get out anyway, uh, just based on the fact that, you know, I, I spent so much time deployed, and, and my wife and I got married, and, and I was looking to, to do other things. And so uh, it was just literally, you know, showing up to American Idol, not knowing how to sing, and seeing if, <laughs> if any of the judges would like me and, and maybe. Well, it seemed like it worked out pretty well for you. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, that's. It, it was, I was very fortunate to have a lot of people to help me out uh, along the way, and that's that's the, uh, uh, you know, the main thing that that, that a lot. Of, sometimes I forget is just how how some people went out of the way to help me out, and from the from getting out of the army to, uh, uh, you know, facilitating my travel, uh, to you know, giving me a year of practice squad to develop, and so you know, I was I was very very lucky um, in my situation. Outstanding. So we wanted to talk to you about the story of how you got a bronze star. I know you are a stoolie and you hear all the time people talking about my purple heart and I fucking hate it for the most part, like bringing it up. Yeah. But we wanted to uh, give you a chance on this with a primarily military audience to kind of explain what happened with that story because this is an audience that will appreciate it. If you just mention it on like a television broadcast or a normal interview with a beat writer, they might not have the appreciation for what comes along yeah. with that medal. Yeah, it's, I mean, honestly, it's a, it's a very tough medal. You know, over the years, you know, when they first gave it to me, it was one of those things where I was like, you know what, sure, somebody put me up for my platoon, so I don't think it was. And, uh, you know, it's not like a, like a really, it's one of those things where, like, I really didn't understand the mean, the, the purpose of an award, especially in my, in my specific situation, one of my soldiers died. And, uh, and it's kind of like a reminder. And so the, the way I always looked at that award is, is not so much an award that, that, um, that I made, uh, or that that I, that I got, but but more of uh, of of something that my, my platoon did and was able to accomplish. Uh, you know, essentially in uh, the summer of 2000 and um, 2011, I think it was 2011. Um, we were in uh, in Kandahar Province, and uh, we got a call from a, uh, a teacher slash A and P. Uh, guy that that he essentially just gone down to a uh, a mosque, uh, and they were they were having a meeting outside of a mosque with you know twenty thirty Taliban, and he just went in there and just started spraying bullets, and he just got a whole bunch of Taliban, uh, killed and wounded, and it was probably a, a mile south of, of of our of our cop, and uh, and he just you know rang a call called the AMP from our cop and said, dude, I just killed a whole bunch of dudes, they're evacuating right now. Uh, to the Chinese hospital in, 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 in taxis, and uh, and my company commander said, okay, just you know, one of the targets, one of the big big names um, that we were looking for, and throughout that whole deployment was there, and uh, he said, just go out there and intercept them, you know, go out there and intercept the, the cab drivers, 
Uh, we'll bring them to our aid station, but we want to have a hold of them. Uh, and obviously, you know, the, the, the potential for, for uh, a blow to the, to the Taliban network in the area was, was crucial. And, and that was a very a stressful time uh, during our deployment. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of kinetic activity and whatnot. So, uh, you know, we rushed down to, the, to, that, to that mosque. Uh, once we got to that mosque, uh, we, we realized there wasn't anybody there. I mean, we did a very thorough approach, bounding overwatch, uh, all the way to the, uh, to the intersection where the mosque was located. Uh, we called the local national, you know, we're all taking uh, cover, you know, sort of waiting for, for, for something. I mean, we're, we're expecting to see a massacre, we're a, a carnage, and we didn't see anything. And so, um, you know, we called the local national, and uh, unfortunately, somebody came from around the corner. Obviously, it was a pretty built-up uh, urban area and, uh, and, and sprayed uh, on an alleyway where, where uh, my section uh, was located. And, uh, and immediately, three soldiers went down. Uh, one of them was shot in the kneecap. Uh, the other one was shot behind the leg, and and unfortunately one of them was shot uh, through, uh, underneath his armpit, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we we started you know doing this, this procedures, just pull into a compound, just get everybody inside, and uh, and try to uh, gain control of the situation. And obviously re- return fire, uh, calling for for air support, CCTA, see if we can get uh, some birds in the sky. And, uh, you know, when we were all inside the compound, uh, you know, doing a quick recount, uh, I figured out that there was a soldier that was still missing and they were still on the outside. And so at that point, you know, it, it, was, it was such a tough feeling as a platoon leader because you say, man, I led this patrol down here. I, I got all my men. Uh, you know, obviously we're following orders and we're trying to do this mission. But, you know, this unfortunate event has, has got one of my guys out there uh, by himself. And so... Uh, I grabbed one of my one of my privates, and we we, we essentially went up, uh, you know, to, to to grab him and rescue him and drag him back, um, back to safety. Uh, when I, when I first saw the soldier, uh, you know, he was obviously he was he couldn't breathe. He was he was scared. I thought he got shot in the foot. I see no I saw no blood. Uh, you know, it was one of those kind of, you know, shooting with one arm, grabbing the soldier with the other, and then trying to drag him back in this alleyway all the way back to the compound, and then. Uh, once we once we got him inside, then we realized that the uh, uh, the wounds was pretty serious, and uh, and that he was fighting for his life. And uh, you know, we called the medevac bird, and, and, and we were able to to do a quick exfil. Uh, you know, carrying soldiers how we could. Obviously, you know, we didn't have that many people, and with three casualties, uh, you know, carrying uh, carrying all the soldiers was pretty challenging. So, you know, looking back at the whole war thing, it was a pretty awful night in my life. It was not a. It was not a pleasant story. It was not a, a thing that that is fond of. Um, I look back at, at, at the, uh, um, you know, at my actions all the time, and and I never find I never find gratitude in, in, in seeing, uh, you know, how I was rewarded with a bronze star with valor. You know, I mean, any soldier, any any platoon leader, anybody would have done the same thing. Um, you know, if if you have somebody left out, uh, in, in, you know, with with bullets raining on them, and so. I just did what everybody else in my platoon would have done. You know, I don't think there was a single person in my platoon that would have not done that for me. And so, to give me an award is kind of it's kind of weird. And then, and then honestly, I got into the the whole. You know, once I got more experience about the, the way it works to write yourself up for awards, the way the way it works when how awards get processed by the military, then I found out that there's a lot more to it. It's kind of like the honestly, it's, it's kind of like the Pro Bowl in the NFL. Yeah. You know, it's very subjective. It's it's it's, it's it's kind of like in CRERs, like the better they're written, the, the more chances yeah. they get, you know, to prove. A lot of times, commanders at higher levels do it for morale. So if if if, if this company is going to beat up, 
you know, then, then you give a couple of awards out there just so they can, you know, rally and say, you know what, we're a courageous unit and whatnot. So and it's almost kind it's of not- backwards where, like, people of higher ranks get higher awards whenever the the writing of the, the intent of the war is doing something outside your rank and responsibility. But you'll have, yeah. like in the Marines, for example, if a PFC does something that's great and wonderful in combat, he'll get, like, a Navy achievement mutter with Valor. Whereas a major did that same thing, he's getting like, <laughs> yeah, he's getting like a silver yeah, star. Yeah. It's just not right. Yeah, the awards are. I mean, I would say they're a joke because there's a lot of great uh, actions done by great service members, but overall, it's, it's a very sketchy process. And you know, if I could give my award back and just say, man, you know what, let's break it up into pieces and just say that the platoon was very courageous, then then I would have done that in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, to, to single to single me out, you know, out of my platoon was 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 something that. You know, I don't feel that that was right, and um, you know, I always, I always look at my, all my, all my, the, the guys that I served with. It was such a privilege and such an honor. I can never look at them in the face and say, you know, I was more, I was courageous that night. You know, because they all say, you know, we're all in the same situation. You know, for another mission, same thing that could have happened. Another guy could have gotten written for the same award. You know, it all depends on how you write it. You know, because at the end of the day, the guy that was approving the, 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 the award was not there. Doesn't have. You know, it has no visual of what was happening. And so the way, you know, I met some great platoon leaders that were great platoon leaders because they wrote awesome NCOERs and awesome awards. And, uh, you know, other E7s, you know, made lists and, and, and they were able to uh, to climb through the ranks because they had great, great writing. And so, you know, I, I think in, in my in my case, it was it was just uh, one of those things that, you know, I realized that, that, that they gave it to me. But at the same time, I understand that, um, you know, my whole entire platoon was, was in the shit, you know, for... Or Combat awards always work like that. If you get something that's worth mentioning, you usually don't want to mention the events yeah. that happened behind it that you got it. So we really appreciate you taking the time and telling your story and let people know. And I'm sure looking back, your troops are like crazy proud of you for what you're doing now. I know just like Connor being a West Point guy, me being a military dude, it always, I know you don't want to be known as that guy because I don't want to be known as just the military guy at Barstool either. Like, you want to be hang your hat yeah. on your own merits of where you're at now. But we're really proud of you and we, we're thankful for your service and think, and we're glad that you're in the opportunity to do what you're doing with Pittsburgh, man. It's awesome. Well, thank you yeah. so much. Because, I mean, yeah. certainly, like, as I alluded to earlier, you're on the USAA commercial. And then obviously, <laughs> you know, you introduce yourself each game. It's United States Military Academy. What's that like kind of, you know, again, you want to be awarded for your merits uh, on the field, but what's it like always kind of being, like, you're the Army guy. What, what is that like? Like, we're always mentioning think, you. Yeah, you know what? I was watching uh, a documentary called One in a Billion about this, uh, uh, this, this Indian basketball player that's seven foot eleven, and, and, and he's got the whole country of India behind him, and they're all cheering for him, and they want him to get drafted. And sometimes I think it's like that as well, you know. Uh, sometimes I, f- I feel like I have the responsibility of representing the army every single time I open my mouth uh, in a press conference. You know the whole Colin Kaepernick uh, situation. You know you have ESPN asking you, you know, what do you think about uh, Colin Kaepernick, and, and you're not really responding for yourself. And you they know, basically respond- want you to take a shit on them whenever they're asking. That's like that's- yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's very unfair. You know, like you really can't say, you know, I just don't care that much about this. You know. The, your answer has to represent the values of, of all the people that you represent. And, and you have to speak for the guys that, that don't have a voice because they're not, you know, on the USA, you know, commercial playing every five minutes, uh, you know, every single time there's a game. So uh, it, it's a little bit of pressure in that aspect, but but I embrace the, the opportunity to uh, to somewhat in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a way represent the product of the military academy, which is 
uh, such an honorable institution that has created you know great leaders and has done uh, so many great things for the military, and at the same time for all the servicemen and women that that are out there serving, and then uh, you know. If, if they look at me and they say, well, that's the exam, that's what a service you know, member looks like, then, then I'm assuming that everybody else in the military is like that. And so, uh, you know, I always have to take care of, 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 of what I say and, and the way I conduct myself, you know, and especially off, off the field. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a duty that I, that I embrace. Yeah, no, because I can, I can assure you, you know, the Army Football Brotherhood is extremely proud of you. And I think you represent the Ranger Regiment very well. And I'm sure everyone that you served with, like Chap said, is very proud of you as well. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're killing it, man. You're doing a good job. And uh, we really uh, want you to continue to have success and maybe even bring home a Super Bowl ring, bring back a, a Super Bowl ring to West Point. Yeah, I normally don't root for officers, but I'll be cheering for you on Sunday, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, one of the most awkward parts is that I always get thanked for my service, uh, you know, because everybody knows that I served. And that's, sometimes it gets a little bit embarrassing, you know. You'd say, like, I serve First Ranger Battalion, you know, well, sometimes I do interviews, you know, with CBS or whatever, and they're like, oh, my God, three deployments. You know, how did you do that? That's, that's, is that even normal? And I'm just like, I mean, dude, there's guys in First Ranger Battalion that have deployed like 19 times. Yeah. You know, that, that have now seen their families in ages. You know, guys from the 82nd that have gotten five-year-long deployments. Guys in Third ID that were in Iraq for 18 months. I mean, I'm, I'm nothing. You know, I'm, I just did, uh, you know, five years and, and – and it, you can't compare it to the service that, that some of the guys are doing out there. You know, obviously, if you go into special operations, then you know my resume is pretty embarrassing. And so every single time I get think for my service, it just gets a little bit, you know, like oh, I don't know if I should say like thank you or or are you making fun of me? Or, <laughs> no, man, you did great, dude. Well, thank you very much for coming on. We appreciate it, and good luck this weekend. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ali. Appreciate you, buddy. All right. Later. Thanks, thanks dude.